Welcome to Improving Intimacy, a podcast to help single and married Latter-day Saints strengthen their family connections and marriages. Daniel A. Burgess is the host of Improving Intimacy. Daniel's a marriage and family therapist, father, husband, and author. Here's Daniel on this episode of Improving Intimacy. Welcome to another episode of Improving Intimacy. Today we have in studio my daughter and son-in-law, and they're going to be talking about navigating communication while struggling with anxiety and depression. So we want to welcome you here and uh, appreciate you taking the time. They actually volunteered. They said they wanted to talk about this. So I appreciate them being vulnerable and uh, willing to share their personal experiences about the difficulties and maybe even successes of, of dealing with anxiety and depression in the relationship and how you navigate those uh, discussions. So let me turn it over to Kelsey and Nick and have you introduce yourself and uh, tell us some more details about your, your struggles. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we, um, we've been, uh, kind of listening in on and learning about what, what my dad talks about through the groups that he does and stuff like that. And we wanted to be a part of this if we could. Um, I'm Kelsey. Um, my husband is Nick and we have an 11 month old, cute little girl, and she is cute. <laughs> and uh, we live in Utah in Provo. Um, we're both active members of the church. Um, we just renewed our temple recommends actually before we came out. <laughs> yes, we did. We're, we're visiting uh, Dan, my dad and my mom in California. And so we get this opportunity to be together today. Yeah. You want to tell us more, Nick? Yeah, I, I'm a convert to the church. I grew up in a non-denominational house. And then when I was almost 20, so about eight years ago, I joined the church and varying levels of activity since then. But we actually met on the mission. Yeah, we, we served our mission missions. Is it plural or singular? Singular. Um, we served our mission in Seattle, Washington. Uh and uh, so we were in the same MTC group, actually. So we started at the same time. And then I got home five and a half months before he did. Um, so so that's kind of a fun aspect of our relationship. We have, have the mission to, to share with each other. Um, and Nick mentioned that he joined the church about eight years ago. I'm, I'm 26. He's 28. Uh, so that's about where we are in life. Yes. Now. So who, who's, I realize there's, a bleed of emotions here uh, or not bleeding, but uh, an overlap rather. Um, who's the one who struggles with anxiety and who's the one who struggles with depression? I, I'm, I struggle with anxiety. Um, and Nick has the could go both. grand could experience both. of having both. <laughs> yeah, I, I, thank you. I, I, that's absolutely true. Is, but it, it, Nick is the one who struggles m- predominantly with depression yes. and anxiety is, is Kelsey. So, uh, you've been married for how long? Uh, one month short of two years. Yeah, one. Yeah, so almost two years. One month short of two years. So yeah. mathematically, our daughter was born eight days before our first anniversary. Yep. <laughs> so tell us about what it's been like. Uh, let's start in your dating phase. Uh, so you guys knew each other on the mission. Uh, we don't, we don't necessarily need to. I mean, you weren't dating on the mission, but. Uh, 
I think you had exposure to each other's personalities there. Um, but let's focus more on the dating phase. Did you, how did you navigate anxiety and depression? Was it something that was present in the dating phase? Um, well, uh, I think we had a sense of what each other kind of struggled with just from knowing each other on the mission. Um, I, I knew that Nick had things he was working on. I mean, then elder Henry, it's weird to refer to him as that now. Um, but I knew he had things he was working on because when we were in the MTC together, he would get called down to go and have a session with his, his therapist there or what I thought was probably a therapist. I kind of fill in the blanks. Um, so we knew a little bit that we struggled and actually on our first date, I remember saying, um, some of my struggles and then saying, I cannot play therapist girlfriend. So I cannot be just that part. Like if I'm going to be in a relationship with you, it needs to be like, I, I can't just play the, the emotional help card. So Kelsey, let me pause you there because yeah. the audience doesn't know who you are. And I understand why you said that, but hearing that for the first time, I think will sound a little cold. You want to give it a little background oh, of why, okay. why you, uh, you, uh, you said on the first date or, um, you're not going to play therapist girlfriend. Do you mind sharing a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah. Um, so the reason why I said that is because I've, I'd had previous relationships where, um, my, my boyfriend had, um, some pretty deep struggles and I assigned myself the responsibility for his emotions. Um, and I, I've always kind of taken that as like a self-sacrificing and like I'm helping and um, I need to be there for them. But I would like all of their emotional struggles were suddenly my responsibility. And that I think that can be really loving, but I also found that it was really tiring and that I put an unhealthy load on myself. Um, uh, yeah, it was just an unhealthy amount of responsibility I assigned to myself that I, I needed to be the one to help them navigate all of their emotional struggles. You, you, you put 110% into your relationships and, um, a couple of the boyfriends that you had previously yeah. struggled with severe depression. And there was definitely that, uh, I'm going to use the term codependency, that enmeshment where you felt a lot of responsibility for, for their emotions. So here meeting Nick, recognizing he's very open about his depression, um, you made it clear and in you're, you're a pragmatic. So you, you don't mix your words. Uh, but it wasn't, I guess, let me ask Nick, I wasn't there. Was, was that a shock to hear Kelsey say that? I wouldn't say it was a shock. It was actually, in my opinion, quite refreshing because in my past I had had people try to do that to me. And I think both Kelsey and I kind of struggled with codependency in previous relationships and having that honesty at that moment, showed that this would be something more than just like a nice fun relationship. It'd be something that would actually be a serious relationship that we wanted to have and that would help both of us with that and not help each other in bad ways. <laughs> yeah, we, we uh, jumped into being pretty serious pretty quickly and serious is a vague word, but we, uh, we were okay with being really emotionally open really fast. Uh, once he got home from his mission and we started going on dates. Um, and I think part of that was just that we were really willing to be open with each other about, about the struggles that we had. And along with 
see you said that me saying right off the bat that I didn't want to be a therapist girlfriend was cold, um, along with, um, well, just, just, just the way you said it here. I, right. I just yes. want the audience. To, uh, I don't know. I don't know who you are, Nick, but I'm not going to be your therapist girlfriend. <laughs> I just want the audience to know that's not what went no, down. No, there was some background with that. And, uh, I had a follow-up comment. Great. You want to go out to dinner now? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I said with that, cause we continued to have a conversation about that. Cause it was, it was, we felt it was going to be a, a big thing to navigate in our relationship. Um, but part of the conversation then was that, um, I didn't want to assign myself the responsibility for, um, all of his emotional struggles in that unhealthy way that I had before. But at the same time, I told him that I wanted him to know that I wanted to hear about it when he was struggling. I didn't want him to feel like he was alone. That's a great, great clarification. Um, you weren't abandoning him. You weren't saying, I'm not going to be a part of this. You were saying, I want to do this right. I want to yes. learn how to do this um, mm-hmm. in a healthy way. And that's, that's Evelyn, your, your daughter in the background. Everybody can hear. <laughs> She's looking at us funny because we're wearing headphones. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think that was a, a very appropriate uh, thing to do. And as Nick, you're saying that was refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your experience like in previous relationships? Not good, but that's because most of my relationships before that had happened in high school, which no one's had a great relationship in high school, except for the very rare people. Yeah, And so it felt a lot more mature and adult in that sense. And that's what made it so refreshing was it didn't feel like I'd be dating someone that wasn't emotionally mature at all, but someone that was comfortable in who they were and what they actually wanted in their life and relationships at the time. So why was it distracting or not helpful in your relationship for others to feel like they had to save you? Or I I don't want to put words in your mouth. What, what was, what was difficult about those relationships where they were taking that responsibility? It was enabling. I felt you recognize that. Yeah. In retrospect, I recognize that at the time I'm an idiot and don't recognize it. I wouldn't say that, but (laughs) it is hard to recognize in in the moment. I personally was an idiot. If anyone else is feeling that that's up to them to decide what that feels like. But it really just looking back on it, it was super enabling and it made it easy for me to subconsciously manipulate my way through the relationship in that sense then. So what did you do? Uh, you had a few dates, um, testing out the relationship. Tell us how it started to develop. Um, well, at the risk of just sounding super Mormony, uh, we, the, one of the reasons that we were okay with being so emotionally serious so fast, um, is because we both felt really strongly in a spiritual way. The spirit prompted us that we were meant to really dive into this relationship and really try to make it work. And, um, we felt pretty soon into the relationship, probably less than a month that, um, this in Nick's words could be it. Search could be over. We could, we could make this work long-term and, um, be together and get married and raise a family. Um, and so that, that was the guiding force factor in our, in, in the beginning of our relationship was just, we really wanted to, dive in and follow what we felt like God would wanted us to do with each other and for each other. 
So you set these healthy boundaries at the beginning. You felt the spirit in your life. And I, I would call that more authentic, uh, authentic, um, super Mormon, Mormon, E gosh, having a struggle speaking today. Um, I, I get what you're saying there, but it sounds very authentic. You both were praying about this. You're trying to figure it out. Uh, you liked each other. Uh, you established those healthy boundaries. So was it easy from there on out? Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not at all. Um, so I mean, what was the, well, go ahead, go ahead. I think when anybody's dating, even if you're really emotionally mature and are open with each other, there's things that don't, don't fully get opened up because you know, you're dating, you're learning about each other. You, you don't just, you know, you're not an open box, right? Right from the start. Um, and in all honesty, we, I mean, we were, engaged by Easter. So we started dating in like after Christmas time. Um, and then we were engaged by Easter. So it was pretty quick. So obviously we couldn't have known everything about each other's emotional struggles, um, and how to navigate that. And, um, then, you know, less than a year into marriage, you add a, the responsibility of a baby into there. So no, it hasn't, it's definitely been bumpy trying to navigate each other's, uh, way of thinking and emotional needs. And that's, I guess that's kind of what we want to focus on. Today. Yeah. So sh share with us the first time in your, in your dating relationship, this became an issue, uh, issue meaning, uh, you're facing the realities of depression and anxiety and how it was affecting your relationship. So the first part, when did, when did you experience your first difficulty? Um, however you want to define that, whether it was major or something that you consciously had to navigate. Um, what was that like and how did you, how did you, uh, navigate it? Uh, I would say the first one was, and correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, but when we were, I mean, because we, we knew that we could try to be pretty serious and that we were wanting to go towards, um, getting engaged and getting married pretty early. And, uh, actually, Nick was having struggles feeling like he was accepted into my family because, um, they, they didn't know him, right. They hadn't even met him. And all of a sudden it's like, I want you to meet Nick and we're probably going to get married. <laughs> and, um, Nick had expressed to me once that, you know, growing up in a, a non-denominational Christian household, he had this idea that, um, you know, getting married to an LDS girl means being accepted into this like open arms LDS family. And he felt a little bit judged because my family was wary because we were getting together so quickly and they didn't even know who he was. So I would say that was probably the first struggle that we had to navigate is him not feeling like he was immediately accepted, um, into my, you know, supposedly traditional LDS family, which I don't think we're very traditional at all. I mean, um, if, I don't know how much Dan has shared in the podcast before, but um, Dan is my stepdad. And so I have two sets of parents that are both wonderful. And so that's in and of itself, not very traditional. Um, and Nick wasn't feeling very accepted by any of the four of them, plus my sisters um, for a while there. And I think that's probably that, that first time we had to navigate through. Yeah. And I'll speak from the perspective of the family and that, that was uh, accepting I think we were pretty accepting. I think we were very cautious because we didn't know Nick and we knew the struggles with depression and the tendency for you to date with in, in individuals with, with depression. And I want to pause there real quick because again, we, we have a variety of listeners and when we talk about anxiety and depression, 
I think it might be good to put a, a level on that. Um, uh, and so it's not just your common anxiety. I, Kelsey, you clarify, there's a high level. You're a high functioning, very anxious person. And Nick, how would you describe your depression? I would say that I typically am very high functioning with it. I do still struggle with suicidal thoughts occasionally. And Kelsey and I have talked about that. Not as much as we probably should thinking about it, but like I've attempted suicide in the past. It's made it that there are days that I just feel completely shut down, but I can still get out of bed. I can still do things. So it's not to that level and it never has been, but it's a lot more emotionally taxing. And then you mix that with me being a pretty severe introvert where I can get socially tired listening to a podcast Yes, that it makes it nearly impossible in those moments to want to reach out and talk to anyone because I feel like I'm already exhausted from my depression. Just talking to someone's going to make it even more tiring. Yes. Yes. And we were aware of that. And so we weren't actually at the time aware of how severe the depression was, but we knew that we were being cautious. And so rightfully so you're absolutely correct. Uh, it was a concern for us and we didn't know Nick and it wasn't that we didn't want to accept him in. And it was just, who is he? <laughs> and, and we were concerned, were you getting pulled into another relationship that you felt like you had to care and you were showing signs of maturity way beyond your previous relationships. And I think that put a lot of ease, uh, and to mom and I's, uh, side of it. Yeah. But I, we, I think because of the other relationships, I right off the bat recognized that there was the potential for me to want, want to become the, what I had then named the therapist girlfriend, you know, like the caretaker girlfriend, like the emotional support system for everything that, um, depression, anxiety, and actually ADHD all piles up together. And, um, so what we knew going into it, I didn't know the depth and I think we're still learning the depth of what each other is struggling with emotionally, but we knew going into it that there would be, uh, that we would need to be able to focus on those kind of differences and that we needed to do it while still remaining healthy. And that I wanted to make sure that I didn't simply, uh, how do I word that? The word that just keeps coming to me is that assigning unnecessary responsibility. That's huge. And that's, it is very hard to communicate that because in a relationship you care about each other and you, the last thing you want to see is the other person suffering. And that is difficult when somebody struggles with anxiety or depression, uh, you want to rescue them. That's a very natural, or you want to make it more comfortable or you want to be, you want your love to be able to heal and uplift that person. Um, and so it is hard to describe. And, and that's why we generally use the words or phrases, you know, setting healthy boundaries, uh, which we were seeing and we were very impressed. And uh, it sounds like, Nick, you were appreciating that. So what was one of these times at the beginning of your relationship where you, you had to really focus on um, being mindful with these boundaries? Um. I'm remembering right after we got married or no, right before we got married, actually, uh, Nick was trying to navigate. He had done some school before his machine and he was trying to navigate what life choices he wanted to make now, like the big life decisions. Like, do I want to go to school? Do I want to go to a trade school? Do I want to, how am I going to start a career? And obviously with having, um, 
being majorly introverted. So the whole like build up a network and make all these friends was not no. his cup of tea at all. That was a nope and right out of that one. Um, uh, but he also didn't want to just sit around and do nothing and stew because um, that that builds up anxiety, which depression and anxiety are such friends with that. Yeah. Do you want to talk more about how you were feeling then? Because that was a big thing. Yeah, because that made it so much worse because it was at the time I was 25, 26 ish and I had done some school before and failed miserably at it for a lot of mental health issues and not knowing exactly what I wanted to do with my life, but felt like, well, that's what you do after you graduate high school, you go to college. And so we had that and I simply felt that there was nothing that I was qualified to do and that anything I did choose to do schooling wise or anything would make, would take several years. I wouldn't be able to support the family and all of that. And it was a huge drain and when we were talking about it, I don't know if Kelsey remembers this, but I remember, well, cause it was something I was thinking, but thinking that one of the things that I really wanted to do was make that decision for me and not let Kelsey help, let her inf inform and have her opinion, but that if it wasn't something that I chose to do and wanted to do, then I really wouldn't be happy in whatever choice I made in that. So you're recognizing that in your fear of the future, you didn't have clarity there. You didn't want to fall into the habit of depending on Kelsey to guide you through this. You had this desire to differentiate is, is what we call it and to make this decision on your own. That's an interesting experience because with depression and, and setting healthy boundaries in this relationship, it's important to have that distinction but there's also a risk that you're doing it all alone and not receiving help. Did you, did you experience that? Uh, the first thing that comes to mind with that is that I, I like to have a plan. It eases my anxiety. I like to know exactly <laughs> what's going to happen and how I'm Just supposed like to, and how I'm supposed to be involved with it. So while I knew that he needed to make this decision on his own when, um, and he had a job then that he didn't really like, he worked with a hotel chain, which is a fine hotel chain, but this particular management wasn't awesome. Um, so he would come home angry and like not satisfied with where he was at. And I would just want him to make a plan for how he could be more positive, how he could move in the direction that he wanted to. And I kind of wanted to be able to, um, make Nick happy, make Nick happy and lay out steps that would make it work. And like the now steps were, okay, well you can only change you. And like, I would give him all of the, you know, motivational talk about that. And then what do we want to do to make it so that you can move out, maybe get out of this job or, um, see if there's opportunity for promotion or whatever it is. And I wanted there to be a plan that eases my anxiety. And because he was expressing that he wanted to make this decision on his own, I was thinking, well, then am I not allowed to say anything? Like this is all up in the air and it's making my anxiety spike like so much. And I want to help you. But I also know that your emotions are your responsibility, but I don't like feeling this tension between us because you haven't figured your life out. It's really hard. And I think yeah. all, um, recently married couples kind of experience that because usually you're still finishing school or you've just finished school and you're figuring out um, what kinds of things feel like your life. And um, I was really worried about Nick because he had told me that school was such a, just like a 
just a not good experience before his mission. And um, so we wanted to find something else. But me being someone who was like on the regular track, you know, I went to high school, then went to BYU and graduated from BYU. And so I was like, well, that just makes sense. Like you just do the thing so you can feel confident that you have the schooling you want. And I knew that he was going to be a little less traditional with that. And I didn't know how to help him navigate it, but I also wanted to help him not be so unsatisfied and hence depressed with the way that he was thinking. And so that, that was a huge, it still is kind of a big thing to navigate, even though he has more of a life plan. Now I need to, my need for a plan makes it so that I bug him about it a lot. And that increases both of our anxiety, even though I'm trying to assuage mine. (laughs) Not knowing what Nick's plan was, was spiking your anxiety. Oh, a ton. And so it wasn't, so you're dealing with a handful of things there, wanting Nick to be happy and help him while also managing your own anxiety. You don't know what's happening tomorrow. A year from now, we're getting married and we need to figure this out. Yeah. And so you're trying to nail it down and, and trying to figure out what's your part. Great example there. Yeah. So what was your experience like, Nick, in, in that experience? The big thing is, and Kelsey and I have talked about this several times since then, is that Kelsey needs to let me be happy in the way that I am happy. <laughs> and that's really difficult because usually she gets so anxious about it because it's like, but you need a plan that I like, <laughs> which makes sense. Like you want a plan that you like, that's what everyone wants in their life. Mm-hmm. But what we've had to navigate with that is that my way of going about and thinking about things isn't nearly as plan oriented as hers is. And that's, that's difficult, but it's because I've set up a lot of plans in my past and they never came to fruition. And I felt really hurt by all of that. And so I've been trying to figure out, okay, how do I set a goal and a plan without it actually not coming to fruition and therefore really hurt? Which feeds into your depression and sense of failure. Because I'm like, well, I couldn't even accomplish that. Mm -hmm. And that's why I didn't want to go to, why I was so apprehensive about school again and feeling that about a career was I've had all these major plans and failures in the past, that's just going to repeat itself again because look at what's already happened, which getting married should have shown that not true to be, not to be true. Right. But something that comes to mind too with all of this is not only do I like to have a plan, um, a, a huge difference between me and Nick is that I like to talk things out until they make sense. And oh my goodness. Um, I like to like, keep saying more words, even if we're talking. It's already getting overwhelming. Until until it, until it makes sense, because that's how I like to plan. I like to be on the same page. And I feel like the best way to do that is to talk it out. Um, But the way that Nick thinks is more, I'm not going to say anything until this, this whole thing is more formulated in my mind. And so I'm sitting here like, why isn't he saying anything? And why can't we have a conversation about this? And why is he keeping all this from me? And he, he needs to do this by himself, but I want to be in on it. And, um, I mean, and my thoughts are like, like that fast, like just little fireballs. Like, I don't, I don't know what he's thinking and I want to, and I want to contribute to what he's thinking. Um, and there's been a lot of times when I'll ask a lot of questions and then Nick will say, Kelsey, I'm thinking about this a lot. Don't, I don't want you to think I'm not thinking about it at all. I am. I'm just not ready to formulate it into a conversation. Um, and that stresses me out because I like talking things through 
um, even when they don't make, especially when they don't make sense to myself yet. Um, I'll, I'll talk through something that I'm worried about till I'm blue in the face and Nick will not say a word. And then I'll be like, so what? So what are you thinking? He's like, I'm a lot of things. I can't talk about it because I'm thinking so many things. You just laid a lot on me. Um, so I'm a talker. He's a thinker. Um, and I think out loud and he thinks in his head. So those are very polarized when we, especially if we're both feeling anxious, the more anxious I feel, the more I want to talk, yes. the more anxious he feels, the more the I shut less down. he wants to talk and the more he wants to just be like, just let me be by myself. <laughs> I'm going to put on noise canceling headphones and I don't hate you, but I want out. <laughs> let me go think. <laughs> Give me room to think. So what, what did you two? So here you're, you're noticing these difficulties. Um, not easy. It's very messy. Uh, what did you do? How did you, or have you learned to navigate that in a way that's supportive of each other. And I'm not necessarily suggesting that your anxiety is going down. Um, for example, one thing you said is Nick will say, I can't talk about this. I am definitely thinking about it, but that would spike your. So on one hand, he's communicating. He's saying, I, I need, I need you to back off. Let me give me my, some, some space here, which is great communication, but stressful to you because it's not the information that, uh, supports you. Mm. And, so have you, have you two found a way to navigate? Right. Um, well, we even have had to work up to us being like me being able to read that. That's what he was saying. Cause sometimes he wouldn't actually say, I can't do this right now. Um, I can't have a conversation, but I am thinking about it. He would instead kind of just halt the conversation. He's continuing the conversation in his brain, but he would halt the conversation with me and either like put on his earbuds or go into a different room. And I'm just like, what? we weren't done. Where are you going? And he'd be like, I, I was done with that conversation right now. And then I think that he just wants to drop it and he's being very uncaring. And it's just, I'm saying all these things about how he's mad at me now and he's annoyed. Um, so we've had to work up to me knowing that what that means isn't I'm mad and you've offended me, but instead that's a lot to process. I'm thinking about it. I want to shelf this conversation and start it up another time. And the more that I bring it up, like, oh, have you thought about that yet? 20 minutes later, the more anxiety he has. And so I just have to, okay, I, I realize now, like, it's hard for me, but I have to say, okay, I probably shouldn't bring this up again until he brings it up, yeah. which for me, needing a little bit is going into our bedroom and saying a prayer and then I'm fine. For him, it could be... It could be 20 minutes if he really wants to talk about it right then, but it could also be five days and five days is a really long time for someone who wants to talk about things right now. Yes, <laughs> so we, and we've had to build up to a, a spot where I'm getting to be a little bit more okay with him needing to shelf it. And that's hard. Um, and then I'm sure I make it harder for him when I keep bringing it up over and over and over again. I appreciate what you said though. You're, you recognize that's what he needs and a mistake that a lot of couples make. And I'm sure his, um, it's a tendency. I don't, it's probably not fair to say it's a mistake. It's a very natural tendency to say, Oh, Nick isn't talking to me. If he loved me, he would understand he needs to talk to me. And it becomes not about the depression, but the degree of love in the relationship, you start to assign degrees of love. Him walking away is an indicator. He doesn't love me. 
And that's a dangerous place to be in because it has very little to do with love. When our, when our minds are running wild, our depression's kicking in, our anxiety's kicking in. Um, so what I was hearing is you're, you're consciously keeping it on the forefront of your mind. Okay. He's not trying to hurt me. He's not falling out of love with me. He's not doing this because he hates me. He's struggling. And then you would go say a prayer to help manage your own anxiety. Is that successful every time? Do you, do you find going in and praying is, is, is the right balm for you? Um, when I'm in the right enough mindset to decide to go do that. Yes. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times it's no, I want to sit here and I want to hash this out <laughs> until it's done. And there yeah. can't be any other thing that happens. Um, and that's so, how we got our taxes done. <laughs> oh boy. Sometimes you do. That was awful. Y- you have to, right? Yeah. Because there's a deadline. And right. I may want to address that in a minute here, but right. So but specifically for you, um, what are some other ways maybe that you, well, and you say that it, it, it would have had to be on the forefront of my mind. And I have had, you know, that that's a subconscious kind of narrative all the time is this, well, if he's abandoned the conversation, does that mean he doesn't actually care about how I feel? And, um, he just is fed up with me and he wants to be just done with this. And then of course, if I'm in a high anxiety mode, I escalate done with this conversation to done with me. And like, he just yeah. wants to leave now and I don't know when he's going to come back. And that doesn't happen. Leaving is, is not the marriage out the door, take a walk. Is that what you mean? Right. Well, like I said, when I'm feeling really, really anxious, sometimes I think, well, for the sake of convenience, he probably wouldn't divorce me, but he wants to be gone. Like he, I, I would think he doesn't want to be in this right now. He wants an escape. Um, and I mean, I say, you mean the, as an, as an excuse, I don't want to deal with this. I'm, I'm leaving. Yeah. Kind of. And when I say leaving, I, I realize that that can be vague and I kind of joke that, um, I mean, we, we want to stay together. I mean, we, I, I come from a family that has divorce and remarriage. And, um, from the beginning we were like, we have some things to work through. We are going to have things to work through, but, um, we want to stay together. And so I know that I don't ever have to be afraid that he's literally going to want to leave as in divorce me, but I think he doesn't want to be dealing with this right now. And that means he doesn't want to be dealing with me. And that can, that can create a you lot internalize of fear. It and it yeah. becomes a part of your anxiety. Mm-hmm. So what do you do to get yourself out of that, that mindset? Um, well, for up until super recently, actually, I needed him to talk me out of it. I needed, I really craved for him to say, no, that's not how I'm feeling. I don't want to leave you. I'm overwhelmed by the situation, but it's not your fault and I'll work through it. Just give me some time. And when he wouldn't say things like that, but I was just supposed to infer it and I didn't realize that yet, I would be really scared that like, he's fed up with me. He doesn't want to be in this relationship. He wants an out. Um, And so that's something that now that he has told me some of the things that go through his head in those high anxiety moments, I can kind of remind myself of that when a high anxiety moment comes back again, that he doesn't need to say it every time. And like I said, up until recently, he, I wanted him to say it every time, every argument, I wanted him to say what he was feeling and reassure me. And I realized that that's not who he is and that my need for validation of my emotions, um, was very high. It still is. I'm working on it, but, 
and that I could, I could remind myself of what he's told me in the past and trust what he's told me in the past without needing to hear it every single time he got angry or anxious or upset or whatever title you want to call the emotion. Um, because I, I needed the validation every time. And I'm, I'm currently working on being able to trust what he's already said and not needing a repeat on the validation. every time. What, what you're describing there is I think such an important takeaway. I assure you that there are many listening to this who also struggle with anxiety and depression. And what you just described is breaking a cycle. Um, I liked the words you said, your need for validation, validation is valid, right? <laughs> it's, 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 and there's this very, there's this interesting place because, um, we feel love, we feel, uh, connection when we have those feelings validated. But what you're experiencing is this escalation of depression and anxiety. And you just said exactly that. I knew I needed him to reassure me that he wasn't going to leave. But then you said, I had to remember our previous conversations and that's where I found comfort and it's still hard. So there's this interesting place where your anxiety is driving the need for the validation versus the actual need for validation. And I want to be careful with that because that's a very difficult place to differentiate and, and discern because when your anxiety and depression are kicking in, it's a concrete need, isn't it? It's like, tell me you're not leaving now, but you're recognizing, okay, no, 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 no. This is my anxiety. I need to, I need to take responsibility just as much as I told Nick, he needs to take responsibility for his depression. That's impressive. And that is a very difficult place to be in. Mm-hmm. And just as a, a follow-up to that, sometimes it'll even be while I'm trying to remind myself and trust the things that he's told me in the past, I'll actually say things like, this is what I'm feeling from you. I'm worried about this. Would it be truthful of me if I said, this is what you're thinking right now. And then because I said the words and he didn't need to, cause he's not feeling put together mm-hmm. enough to say it. He'll then be like, yes, that's right. And then I could reassure myself without needing him to do it. Um, but I needed a little extra assurance of him confirming what I've trusted from him before, if that makes sense. Wonderfully. Yeah. yeah. Nick, anything to add to that? I would say for me, a lot of the time, the word that we've been using a lot recently is that we feel overwhelmed like with anxiety or the depression or just our emotions in general. And like Kelsey's been saying for her, it's she blasted at you. I would go beyond a shotgun to like a machine gun effect on it sometimes where it's just so much in such quick succession and terrible accuracy at the same time, because that's what you end up doing. While for me, it becomes like my mind becomes foggier and foggier and foggier. And that's why it becomes so difficult for me to want to reach out and like actually cut through that and recognize that those moments when she's like, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. Is that accurate? And it's like, okay, the words are there. (laughs) I can agree or disagree with that. And that can provide me some clarity and some guidance Mm -hmm. through that right now. And so that's always been beneficial to me, but I also have to keep it at the front of my mind. Some of those times where it's okay. I only have half a sentence right now. I have to trust that if I begin that, that'll cut through and provide my clarity for me and that I can actually start to talk and actually can 
break out of this right now, even though I feel absolutely terrified that I don't know where the sentence is ending and I don't want to be Michael Scott from the office. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's a huge thing too. Um, is that I, I want him when I'm feeling anxious, I obviously, I want him to respond. I want him to tell me what he's thinking and he doesn't like to, unless he's done thinking what's going to take days um, or more or more. <laughs> um, is this complete silence um, or is it just on that particular point or topic or does it depend? It's usually on that point or topic. I would say, because if we can, if we end up changing the topic to something more, Light. Less light. Yeah. <laughs> less serious. Like, oh, what are we going to do for dinner? Which typically ends up, I don't know. Let's figure that out. <laughs> or like, oh, okay. Then we just take a break and then, it's, hey, let's, what's on TV or something like that. That can break it out because then it's a new direction, a new focus. And I can, I don't feel the pressure to respond. Mm -hmm. A distraction. Right. Yeah. But, but when we are really, when, well, maybe it's just me when I'm really focused on a topic, because again, I want to hash it out all right then. And I'll say everything that's on my mind. And then if it's just like nothing, just like not even crickets, I won't even say crickets, just nothing. The crickets are um, scared. <laughs> and then I feel like I've just left this big kind of like emotional blob and then a slight inquiry at the end and I, I'm getting nothing. And then, you know, that spikes my anxiety <laughs> um, because in those moments it is complete silences. I don't want to talk about any of what you've just said at all right now because it's all running through my head um, and that, that can be hard to deal with. But again, I, I will say I have learned that I need to say what I need after I've expressed all that mm -hmm. stuff. If I have, if I have the clarity to say it beforehand, I'll say, okay, I'm feeling a lot of emotions. This is what I need right now. If, if it's either listen or confirm if what I'm feeling is crazy or not, um, then I'll, you know, spill out everything. And then because I've already told him what results I need from him, he can respond. And sometimes when I'm not feeling clear enough to do that, I will say all the stuff because I'm overwhelmed and then say, okay, now that I've said all of that, I realize that what I need from right, you right now is blank. And then that gives us both something to focus on. And often I solve my own problem, but sometimes often I, he can help me solve it. Now that I've given him something more narrow out of my big emotional balloon, I just popped in his face. So what I'd like about that is you're communicating right now. I know you can't, so I'm putting it in, obviously into my words, but um, this is how I'm going to summarize it. It sounds like, Nick, you, you're overwhelmed. I see that. I also have a need to verbalize what's going on here. And this is what I'll probably need afterwards. What do you do in those situations where you're recognizing she's communicating? I need to verbalize this. And, and maybe she doesn't always have to communicate that verbally uh, or at least, hey, heads up. I got to vocalize this you know, we're now it's two years in the marriage and you know, she needs to share her thoughts and you want to provide her that space to share. H how do you go about doing that? I think a lot of the time recently, it usually happens at night when we're just laying in bed before we attempt to sleep. And it helped recently that Kelsey even said that typically the thing that she needs is a hug or just to be held. And that if she doesn't tell me exactly what it is, that's probably a good default option 
for her. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. And the moments when she has been able to directly state that this is like, like when she ends it on a question that was very implicitly, I want an answer to this question, whether she verbalized that or you could kind of tell that, okay, this is actually a question question and not a thinking out loud question, which has been very hard to discern until we've been more open and talking about what that can look like and mean for us. I've, it's a lot easier for me to answer then because then I know what that expectation is and it's harder for my mind to then run out of control because it's like, okay, there's a very clear question here that she wants and there's still a space there as I collect my thoughts after she finishes and I want to make sure that she is done. And then as I start to collect it, I become more okay with that half finished idea that I feel like I have. What I'm, what I like hearing here is, is you eliminate the guessing. You don't want to become as a Kelsey, as a, as an anxious person, hypervigilant to Nick's behavior. And there's a danger there, right? Because if he shuts down, he's going silent. Um, you're, you're becoming hypervigilant. It's like, okay, something's wrong with Nick. What's going on? I have to dig and I have to dig. and I have to dig. You're recognizing, okay, I need to treat him like an adult and allow him to go through this, but I am going to vocalize what I need. And Nick is going to respond to that. And I think this is really important. It's going to lead into two other questions I have here. Um, and the first one is, what would you say I guess both Nick and Kelsey with anxiety and depression for those who might, who don't truly understand how difficult it is to live and function in a relationship um, with these two things uh, who might say, this is something that you use as like, you're kind of alluding to a a way to avoid a conversation. Uh, What's the difference there? And then the second one is, and you can answer it however, whatever order you'd like is now that you have a kid and you do have deadlines, how do you function with these two struggles, anxiety and depression in meeting those deadlines and the needs of, of your child? Because right. sometimes you can't, you can't put something off for a day or two. Um, so guide us in that. What do you, what do you do? Hmm. Well, to, to answer your second question, the first thing that comes to mind actually is that, um, so having having a baby actually it provides how Nick mentioned that sometimes we'll just switch to a lighter topic if it feels like it's getting like too overwhelming uh too heavy because we're both too anxious it's really easy to just then you know baby needs attention so we're not talking about this right now because um our baby's fussy or um she wants to eat or like I'm I'm still nursing her a few times a day so that actually provides me a okay baby's hungry we're gonna pause this conversation I'm gonna go have a chance to go think in baby's room while I'm nursing her by myself um so in some ways it eliminates the my need to just like keep hashing it out because there's an immediate need of a baby there. And so I can then focus my energy on her, whether that's anxious energy, it's usually anxious energy. Um, <laughs> I can focus that need on her um, and take a break. Um, not that I always recognize it as a break. Sometimes I rec- uh, sometimes it's more of like, oh, I wanted to have this conversation and this, this baby just needs to interrupt it. <laughs> and, um, so in the moment it might feel more stressful because there's another 
human being that needs me right now other than myself and my husband. Um, but in, in when I think about it and while I'm then taking care of the baby, it's okay. This is probably a needed break from that conversation. We could take a pause. Um, I can take care of the baby for a little while and then maybe bring this up again later when we've had a chance to chill out. Um, and that that's an up and down or emotional roller coaster, right? Because when somebody else needs you, it's like, it's fulfilling, but at the same time, it's like, but I had something else I wanted to focus on right now. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's up and down definitely. Yeah. And what was the first question again? I'm trying to, for those who don't haven't experienced this level of anxiety or depression uh, or understand it and may say life is tough. You, you've got to still, are you using it to, is this a form of running away and not handling your responsibilities? Right. I was slightly thinking about that. I want clarification on the question and it's not, I mean, you can use an excuse to run away from any responsibility that you find anyways. Absolutely. Yep. And so I would say it can, it can definitely appear like that. And when you're in that moment of depression, when that thought comes to mind or anxiety, all it does is make it worse because now you're like, great. Now I'm also not taking care of my child. I'm not doing my homework. And it just becomes, it just keeps building upon itself more and more. And that makes it so difficult. And that's one of the benefits to marrying Kelsey and that, and having you as a father-in-law is that we've been able to recognize that more and health in a healthy way, rely upon each other to know that even if we're both feeling super overwhelmed, we've been able to develop a sense of trust with each other where it's okay. We both need something right now and we need to figure what that is. And for, I can definitely see that people that haven't felt that and don't understand that, how that could appear from the outside. But I would say, just think about all the different excuses that you make in your life for not doing the dishes or not giving your all at work. It's you're going to find excuses in your life that are going to be doing the same thing. And they might be as deeply ingrained in mm-hmm. your personality as depression or anxiety can be. Oh, that's a great, great point. It's everybody has their own struggle of procrastinating in some form. Uh, some may be great like Kelsey and, and your mom who are great schedulers and use that as a, as a tool for productivity in their life. But there are other aspects of your life that may be a type of procrastination. Um, and so we're all struggling with our, um, I, I really appreciate this conversation because in, and I have shared a lot with my audience, but for those who don't know, I'm, I'm by no means struggle with the anxiety or the depression that either of you do. Uh, but I definitely do shut down when I get overwhelmed to a point that I don't even realize. And this came to light and why I'm sharing this is because it's a lot of what you're doing. Um, early in the marriage, when we started working out early in the morning, mornings are not good for me at all. And so I didn't even realize how, um, um, a way I was in my mind and mom, my wife, uh, your mother, uh, would like to talk and, and, and plan out in our drive to the gym in the morning at 5am and it would become quickly overwhelming and I would shut down more. And that was very difficult for her and it was difficult for me. And so becoming verbal 
And one of the things that we did was we took the focus or potential offense off of each other. It's not because of you. What I would often do is, you know what? I'm having a really, so I had to have it on the forefront of my mind. Today is a really rough day. I don't think I slept well. This has nothing to do with you. I'm, I, I kind of need some space here as we drive. And that would be hard for her because she knows that was her time to, to talk. And there were mornings where she would say, this is really hard for me. I thought it was going well. <laughs> I, was going, I thought it was going well. I, I was like, I didn't feel bad, but I wasn't talking. I wasn't engaging in the conversation, but she would be able to say that and just articulate it. And I would say, ah, I had no idea. Thank you. And be able to engage in some dialogue right there and, and to be able to meet it. But I didn't feel like I was responsible for her experience there and vice versa. And that, that, that was a process that we had to grow through. Um, and I think we've gotten pretty good at it and being able to recognize I'm struggling, you're struggling. Okay. That's all that's going on right now. And that's it. But that still, that struggle still affects us mm-hmm. emotionally. It's like, oh my goodness, I don't want today to be unpredictable. So we start to learn how to navigate that. I, I need 10 minutes of rest. I'll go shut down and then I'll come back out and engage in a way that is supportive for her. And I'm hearing you two develop those skills. And that's, that's really impressive. And it's very hard, very hard. Cause it, it, it has to take, uh, you have to learn how not to get offended mm-hmm. uh, or take it personal, but yet it's still emotional and to be able to communicate that. Yeah. So it's very impressive that you two are, are navigating that. Thank and, you. And I'm not in your <laughs> daily life. Yeah. You what? said because of me, but I have very little involvement in, in your, your, your marriage. Um, no, but your, your ideas have a lot of involvement. in our marriage. Oh, um, thank you. Uh, another thing that I was thinking while you're saying that is sometimes you just need to verbalize something to, to connect, to check in, whatever it is. Something that we've started doing is because I've realized that when Nick gets really overwhelmed, verbalizing is like the last thing he wants to do. It's hard. Um, a lot of the time now he'll just, um, to kind of, it kind of communicates well, let me tell you what it is first. He'll flash the I love you, the ASL sign at mm-hmm. me um, or like make the I love you sign with his hand and then, you know, touch my knee or something like that. Um, and that's come to communicate that a lot's going on in my mind right now. But and like I I can't continue to talk about it at the moment, but I heard you and I love you. And that just like that simple little thing is just like. I'm telling you, I understand and that I can't do anything about it at the moment, that's but that brilliant. I love you. <laughs> that's, in the context of sex, that's safe words, right? <laughs> but that's in our emotional relationship. I think that's huge. And I think uh, Julie and I, my wife and I have done similar things. I don't know if we're as conscious of that, but there are definitely things that we do to communicate. This is where I'm at. So that's brilliant. I really like that. I, I hope the audience understands the impact of that. And that's, that's good. And I think where that gets really successful uh, there, well, there, it is a little bit more conscious uh, in our relationship because one of the keys for that to be successful is that we don't use, for example, in your case, the I love you sign as a way to escape the conversation and never follow up for it, right? Where it becomes successful is when you can use it and trust that this will then be followed up later. It's not a way to permanently set it aside. And I think that's where couples get into trouble. Um 
and we don't have to hold each other to a specific time frame. Sometimes I will say, sweetheart, I need to talk to you. Let's, let's put this off until tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes along and boy, it's, it's a really bad day at work or very emotional. It's like, but I will communicate that with her and say, it was really rough. Tell you what, let's, let's try to do this tomorrow, but I'm following up eventually following up. It's not, I'm putting you off. I know my limitations. Um, so another great idea. Love it. One of the things I was thinking about right now was that through all of this, one of the biggest problems that we've encountered is in those high anxiety or high depression moments and in arguments in general, you take things very personal from what the person says. Yes. And for me, one of my big problems throughout life and why Kelsey and I think I might be actually somewhat autistic is my ability to express my thoughts has caused a huge amount of misunderstandings in my life. And I didn't have it pointed out until my mission that my tone of voice doesn't typically match what I'm actually trying to get across. And I had no idea. And that was a very weird moment on the mission to have my companion tell me that. And he was just making note of it. He wasn't angry with me or anything. He was just like pointing that out. This isn't making sense, Nick. You said this, but it felt like this. Yeah. And all he said was your tone of voice really doesn't match what you're saying. And I had that moment of, what? <laughs> and so like that and my phrasing and wording is very particular from what's been pointed out to me from people. And so when I feel like I've expressed something and because she's feeling very anxious or confused, which makes Kelsey very hard to actually communicate with, cause she's trying to figure it all out and in her way that what I said felt very like profound or very direct to the point and it was misunderstood. It feels very personal to me because it's like, but I spent all this time thinking about it and like composing this and mm-hmm. you're completely misunderstanding. And that means you don't understand me. One of the, one of the things that I think he means with that is if you can't tell Nick is base. Yes. And um, <laughs> this means that when he says something that's very, direct, it can often sound, uh, cutting or short or, uh, like he doesn't care because it's just, well, this is how it is. The end. And it's strong. Um, I guess it's strong. And while that felt very, it might've felt like he was saying something consoling in his own mind, um, because he took time to think about it and that that was his answer to me. It just felt like, well, that was disappointing and rude. And I'll say that. I'll say, so that was like, what do you mean? That was rude. Like you didn't even think about what I said. And, um, so, so yes, uh, while tone of voice and the word choice can play a lot into if you sound nice or consoling or like you understand, um, something we've also had to learn is that I don't want Nick to speak differently or sound like all, you know, rainbows and butterflies just because I'm anxious. I want him to be himself, but I need to realize that his tone of voice and the way that he says things, even if it can, if I'm having a hard and overwhelming time, it can sound really uh, cutting or dismissive. What I need to realize is that I need to pay attention to the words um, and also kind of like, fill in what I know about him, fill in that I know that he's not trying to dismiss me or tell me that I'm being dumb. Um, but rather 
that he wants to help me through it, but he also doesn't want to dwell on things that don't need to be worried about. And that's where the directness is coming from is that, um, he wants to help me dismiss the things that I am focusing my anxious energy on that I don't need to. And that can sound really cutting in the moment, but then I realize he's actually being caring saying, you simply don't need to worry about that. But how it translates to me is I don't care. And do, do you have an example of that? Cause I don't want the listeners because the way that does kind of sound is it could sound controlling. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to think about this. Oh, you get every right to think about whatever you want. Right. Um, so w- what's a situation where that, that has occurred and, and how that's played out a lot of the time with our daughter. Right. Um, so there's been a lot of times when like, I mean, I'll get really anxious if I put Evelyn down for a nap and cause she's still learning how to self soothe and get herself, you know, snuggled up and asleep. Um, I'll put her down for a nap and she's crying and I don't want to leave her there crying, but I know that she'll get herself to sleep because she's learning how to do that. And then I'll come out and I'm like, she's crying again. I don't know why she won't let me put her down for a nap. She didn't even want to snuggle. She likes you better than me. You're the favorite parent and you can put her down for a nap. Your anxiety started to spiral. And yeah. And then I just think she hates me. Um, she's 11 months old. Her, her memory is just like so short term. She'll forget in two seconds that I put her down crying and she'll be happy because she's asleep. And, but I come out saying this happens all the time. She hardly wanted to nurse. She didn't want to snuggle me. She was just crying. And so I put her in her crib, but now I feel like I abandoned her. And those are the kind of moments when Nick is just like, he'll, he, one of his favorite phrases for those kind of moments for me is it is what it is right now. Mm. And, um, those exact words. So, that's not quite, I like that because it, it's not dismissive. He's acknowledging it is what it is right now, but uh, don't let me put words in your mouth, but don't allow that the anxiety to escalate in a way that's distracting or hurtful in the situation. Right. And the first, the first few times that he said that, I thought he was simply saying, shut up. You're overwhelming me. Go away. <laughs> yeah. um, but instead he was saying, she'll be fine. You don't need to worry about this. So that's what I mean when I say that he'll say something that sounds really direct and cutting, but what he's really trying to say is you can tone down your anxiety. This is going to be fine. And I need to translate that in my brain. I, that while I want him to, you know, maybe there's a part of me that wants him to you know, go buy me chocolates and write me a love letter and make me feel better. Him saying it is what it is right now is as like the emotional equivalent of that. He's saying you can calm down. It's mm-hmm. going to be fine. So what I'd like, maybe one final thought is, and, and maybe you two can share if there's one thing that you can, the listener can take away from this. Um, uh, what would it be? What would you tell your your pre-married selves? What would you inform yourself? But before, before you answer that, one thing I, I think is important to clarify here is some will be thinking uh, who are struggling with uh, spouses who uh, struggle with depression um, is that they get this feeling of they are who they are and I just have to let them be. What I notice in your relationship is yes, there's a d- degree of that. The fact is you do struggle with depression and you struggle with anxiety and you both at times struggle with both. Um, And there's this element of that's who they are, but you're not becoming your depression. You're not using that as an excuse and you're finding opportunities like what you're just 
describing there is how to communicate better with each other. So you're incrementally trying to meet each other's needs without denying what you're experiencing. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I'd say so. Kelsey? There was a lot of description there and I lost the question. Um, (laughs) You're not using this as an excuse. You're not just saying I'm an anxious person. So you have to live with me. Just who I am. Um, You're recognizing that's what you both are struggling with, but there are opportunities in your lives where you're actually trying to meet the needs of the other person. Is that fair to say? Yeah. It's not being used as an excuse. I will never change. And I can't learn how to communicate the way that you value. You both are actually trying to communicate in a way that each other values. Yeah. Yeah. Makes the marriage easier. (laughs) I would say that with that being said, a good, a good takeaway that I would tell my pre-married self is one that I don't need to feel like it's a hundred percent my responsibility to care for my husband's emotions or to fix, I guess that's a better word. My husband's emotions. If I feel like they're not happy. Um, and with that, that while I'm not responsible, while I'm not the sole responsible person for his emotions, I also on the flip side, can't make him fully responsible for the way that I'm feeling. Um, so that I need to take responsibility for me and, um, that will need to balance with helping and taking some responsibility for how he's feeling. But if I try to go a hundred percent both ways, we're just both going to be overwhelmed. I, I love that summary. Thank you, Nick. What about you? If I would tell something to my pre-married self, it's that you don't have to be who they want you to be with that, especially with depression and everything else that I felt with that is that I needed to be able to accept who I am and what I have with the depression and how my voice is and my ability to communicate. And that the more that I embrace that and try to learn and grow inside of that, that I will find people that are okay with that and who will be friends for a long time. And I will find someone that'll, that I'll get married to despite all these things that most people are looking and going, Oh, well, you're going to need to fix that to actually be accepted in society and be accepted by someone. Thank you both. I think this is a great example of what it's like to live the gospel, live a relationship where you both love each other and it's still messy. I think that's important for people to hear and learn how to navigate it. And I hope that those listening will, will, hear your example and, and find encouragement, even in the messy. Um, and you know, sometimes it's, it's, we get this ideal of what a, a eternal temple marriage relationship looks like, and that's not bad, but to be able to see it and on day-to-day basis. And I think you guys have provided a window into that. And so I appreciate your vulnerability and, and sharing that with everyone else. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Thank you.